Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Infinity Watchers. I'm John, joined always by Jared, and we, after a brief delay, are here to talk about our thoughts on uh, episodes three and four of Miss Marvel. Uh, so Jared, how are you doing today? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, as we're recording this, this is simply the first day of my vacation, so uh, I'm ecstatic, excited, and uh, very relaxed nice. for the first time in a long time, you know? Awesome. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, yeah felt uh, feels good to be able to get back into the rhythm of things. And then we're going to, like, completely change up our, our rhythm again after this episode is released. <laughs> yeah, I guess just like a forewarning uh, for the schedulers, <laughs> for the schedule of, of this podcast. Yeah. For our loyal followers, uh, we have back to back vacations. So, so Jared and I are going to um, <laughs> be out of pocket for different uh, different vacations. But. You know, once once we get back, we'll be giving our our thoughts on the finale of this, most likely just kind of the last two episodes, and then uh, Love and Thunder as well, which is mm-hmm. as we're recording this one week away from release. Right. So funny enough, I'll be in L.A. whenever it releases. So if I can try and sneak into a to a premiere of some sort, I will. Nice. <laughs> but uh, I highly Very doubt nice. it. <laughs> That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah, that's a it's a bucket list thing. Like get down to, I I have a buddy that went to the No Way Home premiere and he said it was a lot of fun. That's cool. Yeah, he yeah he said that he didn't um he didn't get to go in like didn't have the that kind of access but like was at the red carpet and said uh-huh. like like Willem Dafoe came out and Alfred Molina came out and like um, Benedict Cumberbatch came out and that was about it. But uh, he said it was a lot of fun. He got he got some autographs and some of his posters. I said he like. Ben Affleck would walk past him at another premiere while he was out there. Oh, really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was a, um, he said it was a lot of fun. If I can somehow manage to, to pull one off for Love and Thunder, I'm definitely going to try to. But nice. No nice. guarantees there. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a cool experience for sure. All right. So stick around after our um, thoughts on this Marvel. We're going to do another another uh, favorite, least favorite, overrated, underrated segment. And this week, our focus is on casting choices throughout the MCU. Uh, this should be a fun one. I, I had a lot of fun coming up with my list and pouring over <laughs> casting choices that I had strong feelings <laughs> on throughout the MCU. So It's definitely going to be an interesting one. Yeah, and I think I it's a good outlet to get out a lot of thoughts that I haven't really necessarily had the, <laughs> the yeah. outlet to do so far in this show, so... I'm excited for that. So stick around till after our uh, after the episode. All right. So Jared, uh, we've got double duty this week, and we are covering episode three of Miss Marvel, titled "Destin," mm-hmm. and this was directed by Mira Menon, um, who also directed episode two, "Crushed," um, yep. aired on June twenty second, and then the fourth episode, "Seeing Red," which was directed by Charmin Obeid Chinoy. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I highly doubt that I am, <laughs> but apologies. Uh, that one episode, that episode aired on June 29th. Uh, so just starting right off of the top, um, you know, focusing solely on episode three, Destin. Mm-hmm. What what were your feelings um, on this episode as a whole? So for this one specifically, um, I mean, it's only been like a day since I've watched it. This was the wedding, right? Yeah, correct. Um, I really enjoy. I'm still really enjoying this show. There's, there's nothing that I 
don't there's almost nothing i don't like about it and yeah it just it keeps this this frenetic pace going that we talked about in the first two episodes and like while the 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 background graphics and and um some of the like more visual representations of things have kind of faded into the background and disappeared yeah um well that was a great hook to like get you to get you like it think it's it's teeth into you you know and like get you hooked um the momentum of the show really has stayed the course and like the action's great in this Uh, i love kamala's art as a character her family dynamic and um i there's a lot to i really like about this show you know (sighs) it's fun it's like i'm having fun watching it yeah, me too, and I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, I I felt that this episode was actually the strongest so far okay. in the series. Um, just kind of start to finish, right? Like it kind of had everything. Like it had the good character beats, it had the good action. Um, you know the it had good pacing. Like the pacing was incredible in this episode because they really start you right off the bat with the explanation of the the clandestines and the gin the flashbacks to the um you know what happened hundreds of years ago or whatever the time frame was there mm-hmm. um you know getting into the lore of exactly what the the bangles are sort of yeah um i thought that was really interesting um and you know i if i have one complaint about the series so far it's probably the the clandestines and that started with this episode is they're yeah. they're a little bit lame <laughs> little like bit. outside of the the primary one um and i can't remember her name um i think it's not najma i think so najma um i feel like she's a pretty well fleshed out character um we don't really even after episode four and we'll get into the lore that's dumped in that episode as well but like i don't understand their motivation like they're you don't you don't really connect or feel sympathy for them yet well, it, it's one of it's like one of two things. Either they want to go back home, or they want to destroy this universe. But it, it sounds right. like they want to go back home, but at the cost of destroying this universe. You, you know? Yeah, and it's it's a weird. Um, it's not really explored. Yeah, and I'm hoping that we do get an exploration of that, and they make them a little more sympathetic because I think it's a weird, kind of weird choice for how much this series focuses on the partition mm-hmm. and how like inhumane that was, and you know, framing these this clandestine as a group from another reality that are essentially refugees and were mm-hmm. exiled from their home here, but they're like trying to destroy this reality. It just feels like a weird, uh, it, I, I don't understand it, fully what they're going for. It's there. almost like a weird juxtaposition of the two. Like, like the one, yeah. Uh, the Pakistani uh, like lost their home in, in that region because of the partition. Uh-huh. I mean, I even wrote my notes for episode four at the very end during the training sequence. Y'all want to see what imperialism does to a country, yeah? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but then, like, that's extremely sympathetic, and you can we can relate to that. But the fact that the 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 gin and the clandestines in this like sounds like they don't care what happens; they're gonna get try and get home at all costs. You know, like it. I get it, right. but it when you throw in the threat of destroying an entire reality, I mean, we just, we just went through WandaVision and multiverse of madness with the same. Yeah. We didn't need it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If, if there was anything the series didn't need, it's like a world ending threat. (laughs) Right. Like the, the rest, the rest of the show feels uh, 
I, I, it's grounded, you know, and it's weird to say because mm-hmm. uh, Kamala has this bangle that like allows her to extend herself almost like green, the Green Lantern. And I mean, to say grounded is kind of odd, but you know what I mean? That it's not, it, it feels more small scale, small personal. scale, right? Mm-hmm. Everything takes place in uh, Karachi or Jersey City. Like mm-hmm. there's really no in between. So far, yeah. That we know of. Yep. Yeah, and then just tying back to um, episode three yeah. for a few minutes, I, I thought yeah. I thought the explanation was interesting. Um, in the for the flashback at the beginning, where the episode kicked off with the explanation of exactly what the clandestines are, and the actual flashback to see Kamala's great grandmother mm-hmm. with the bangles. Um, I'm really, really interested to see where they're going with this because yeah. it was very clearly a like a bright blue hand that they pulled the bangle off. Of. Right, right. Did you catch? Like, I did. I mean, it, it, it was almost like it, they, like it was like a Cree. Cree. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, all right, are they going for an inhuman reveal here? Is that our first kind of <laughs> tease? But I really, at this point, I don't think so. I think we would have gotten it there. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was like. We go by many names, clandestines, the djinn, and I thought she was going to say inhuman. <laughs> was, right. You know, it felt like they were building to that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I don't think we're going for that, but I do wonder what that blue hand was. And then the other piece is when they zoom out and show each of them, each of the members of the clandestine, there's like an overhead shot. They're standing on a giant Ten Rings logo. <laughs> I don't know if you caught Oh, that. I didn't catch that. Each And each member is standing in one ring including okay. Kamala's grandmother in one of the individual rings. So I don't know if there's like another I didn't four or that. five members of this clandestine group that were exiled to the, like, I think it might've been a hint that there are others, but it, 100% I looked up like the 10 rings logo and all the the scripture that's on it is exactly the same. Oh, um, that's interesting. And it kind of makes you wonder with having these like, cause the way that the jinns are described are like coming from this like pocket universe alternate mm-hmm. dimension, which is very similar to Talo, right? In Shang Chi, so yep. like, are we getting some sort of tie between the bangles and the rings, like being these ancient artifacts I of unknown, so. unknown actual origin? I mean, so like, I'm really, really interested to see <laughs> if there's some like you know that that could be a nice way to introduce carol into the end of this episode and you it know, would and wong right wong right. shows up to, we got to get wong in this somehow so if he shows up at the end like kind of very similar to the post-credit scene in shang chi and just pulls yep. her in and say hey what what are these devices we need to see like what's going on and and you know what if there's some maybe that's part of whatever the you know, no pun intended end game that we're building towards in the mcu is, is something with these artifacts and i, I don't know what that would be um, I think it's pretty open-ended, but you just took the words right out of my mouth whenever you mentioned the the Ten Rings logo. <laughs> I, like, yeah. literally everything I was about to say, you just like okay, you, you my bad. <laughs> What's that? I said my bad. <laughs> no, no, you're good. No, that's great. That I mean, we're on the same page then. Um, I wonder though. I mean, this this is getting really nitpicky, but I wonder if like the the thing Carol looks down at in that Sean G post credit scene has to do with this, you know, or if that's like some alter. Or it other, could, other it could be threat in uh, another galaxy um but who knows um but yeah it, it would make sense to tie the bangles to the rings in in that sense since i mean the rings aren't really described as much in shang chi uh, mm-hmm. we 
as much as I wanted more description of that, I'm kind of glad now that we didn't get it because I mean, now we can start to slowly build out yeah. what the next threat could be, even if it does eventually lead to like like a Kane story of some sort, you know? Um, I don't know. And I, this, I mean, I'm really stretching here, but to tie in a lot of the uh, Asian and East Asian uh, uh, cultures into like, I don't want to say one big universe, but like one basically cohesive like story making it cohesive yes thank you i think yeah. is i think it kind of works out to an extent uh showing pakistan and um china and talo you know um so i don't know it's interesting i i, I haven't had a lot of time to think about this because i only watched this episode mm-hmm. yesterday and the n- episode four like two hours before we <laughs> we recorded we're recording so um, haven't had a lot of time to like let this sink sink in, but yeah. Um, I, how? I mean, looking back on it though, like I don't think it's a mistake that it was Carol at the end of Shang Chi, right? Mm-mm. And Carol's going to be the through line between right. that character, or between Shang Chi and Miss Marvel, right? Like now there's right. there's that connection point to where Carol could be like, oh, I've seen like metal like of this. this sort before, or like something like that, right? Or right. she takes it to Wong and he notices it's signaling for something too. Mm-hmm probably some pocket universe maybe a threat type thing i don't i don't really know i mean i think it would be a little cliche if it's like whatever the next big bad is like doom trapped in a pocket dimension or something like something goofy like that you know like i don't i don't know if it needs to be that but if uh, i don't know i really don't know i mean if that is the case it would be something big so you'd have to think like something tied like galactus like silver surfer like i don't know maybe these artifacts are observing the planet until it's prime for consumption or (laughs) i forget where i heard it but do we i'm going off off topic here for a second but like do that's what we're here for i know but like do we want galactus as a a big bad in the near future we just had thanos not in the near future yeah like we just had one i don't think universe shattering this is to me he's not really a a threat that you build towards over like multiple phases yeah you know like it's kind of like oh he's coming like what do we do to prepare to fight like a planet-sized creature like <laughs> so i don't, I don't just, know just throwing that out there but mm-hmm. anyway um uh yeah tying everything into the bangles tying it back to um her family's history and and the um and the clandestines um yeah, the, the clandestines overall, I think, are relatively weak. At, at at first, I started thinking, like, oh, my God, is this the hand from the Defenders saga all over again? <laughs> I, I can't do another one of those. Um, and it, it, part of me even thought, like, is this a tie into the Eternals in some way? Oh. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't think that's the case. Like, so I'm not as familiar with um, the Miss Marvel comics as you are. Is there any tie in to either... I'm jumping ahead here, but the Red Dagger or the uh, or the clandestines in comics. Red Dagger, yes. Okay. Um, clandestines, no. Okay. This just seems to be like we didn't want to do Inhumans, so we're going to do this. <laughs> okay. This kind of origin instead, like it's just a complete rewrite. Even the clandestines in the in the comics are like a a team. Like there's okay. actually a team called Clandestine. Okay. <laughs> like, like they are a clan. <laughs> and th- i mean they have very little 
in common with this group um but they're just kind of repurposing that name it sounds like um so i mean it's an interesting origin and i definitely don't think it, she needs to be an inhuman it's not as like critical to her character arc like it, it doesn't define who she is right no. like she's she's not really a member of like the inhuman royal family it's just her character was created in the comics at a time where they like needed to power up a lot of they needed to create a lot of new heroes so they had the earth bombed with terrigen mist and everyone who was an inhuman got their power so like, <laughs> like it was just like a convenient thing that was happening in the comics okay. that could provide her her powers at that time and they do some stuff like she's she's very close in the comics to like lockjaw and the humans play a part in her origin story as well but it's not like she's definitively an inhuman okay right? and there are stories where it can be that like mm -hmm. you know the avengers game by square enix right like that was right. a very huge part of her character and her arc and that was her status as an inhuman mm -hmm. but i don't think it's necessary in the mcu no especially no, not at the cost of like trying to reintroduce that and bringing that. the bringing the canon questions back to the forefront and like you cast Anson Mount now that you already brought him in and right multiverse like ah it's it's weird yeah and it, I, I think ultimately like this is a much more personal origin story for her yeah like this is something that was set in motion far before she was born like her great-grandmother was involved so it's a familiar familial thing mm -hmm. um and I think it's just a smart decision and it seems actually to be received pretty well, too. I was worried because, you know, anytime there's deviation from the comics, people are like kicking and screaming. But I don't really <laughs> see anybody that really cares that much about it. Maybe I'm just yeah. in the, the wrong corners of the Internet these days. But. But, you, yeah, you got to be careful when you're out on the, the interwebs. Yeah. Like you, you can wind you up do. in the in the weirdest corners possible. Mm -hmm. um, but <laughs> uh, yeah, no, just, you're right. And even people I've talked to um, who are, are just just watching the show and don't are kind of in the same camp as me and don't really know the, the comic history as well as, as you you've been describing it as um, are in the same boat of like, this is actually pretty, pretty good, entertaining. It's fun. Mm -hmm. um, it's not, it doesn't have this overly heavy handed message like Falcon. It's, it's fun, but it's not campy like WandaVision was at times. Uh, Loki was just a fun romp through, yeah, not even the multiverse but the universe um mm -hmm. but i keep like i said like i've said in earlier episodes like this feels like an abc show an abc family show something that would would have probably been on maybe not on the cw but um it feels like it was meant for teenagers mm -hmm. um and we i mean we see this whole world from their perspective i mean we see kamala learning to, to deal with her own powers uh, bruno trying to come to the conclusion that he's going to have to leave this place to go to Caltech and, and do what he wants. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. Uh, and Nakia like learning, or I shouldn't even say learning, but um, I guess I could say learning, learning to like overcome her fears to become part of the, the mosque board. Um, and they, they say that she's the first woman who's on the board, right? The first teenager. Um, I can't, can't remember. remember specifically. I'm sorry. I want to say it was the first woman. Yeah, that sounds right. Sound that I I think that's how they described it, and I mean she ends up getting it. So like, these are teenagers who are coming into themselves like before college, <laughs> which is incredible. Um, mm -hmm. 
one thing I, I, I noticed with, with Bruno, I just want to throw out there when he's doing the research on his, on his <laughs> work shift, is he looking at starts research of wormholes? <laughs> he mentioned uh, at one point he was looking at Selvig's research. Okay. Okay. Cause I, I you could see the screen and it looked like the wormhole from Endgame. Oh, the, the Mobius strip, the Mobius strip. I'm like, yeah. That? Who who let this inter- information out onto the internet? <laughs> that seems kind of dangerous. No, because there's one point where they're in the um, in his apartment or whatever, wherever he lives above that um, Circle Q or mm-hmm. Circle K. Circle, circle K, K is the one that's in real life, right? Yeah, yeah, the real okay. one is Circle K. Okay, I always that's get that the, confused. That's the uh, the Bill and Ted. Um, yeah, but they're yeah, above the sheets, Q, above so. the Wawa. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, Jack goes better. <laughs> and he mentions something about Dr. Eric Selvig. Okay. Which is oh every time I think of him now, I just think of that scene in the dark world where he's running around Stonehenge naked. <laughs> what a film. We should have revisited the the Thor trilogy before Love and Thunder. We really should have. We really should have. We'll get we'll get around post-mortem. to it. Postmortem. We'll do a postmortem. We'll do a postmortem. We'll do the <clears throat> Thor quadrilogy. Um <laughs> but, but yeah, that that scene too, just while we're talking about it, I thought it was hilarious. Like <laughs> that um Kamala's dad comes in while Bruno's reading the exact page that describes what the gins are right. <laughs> and translates it for him on the spot. That's exactly what he needed to hear. <laughs> I was like, that was very convenient. I mean, he works in a I convenient like, store. I like the uh I always like when like <laughs> magical, convenient things like that happen. It makes me chuckle a little bit. He does work in a convenience store. Yeah, yeah right. That, that's another thing, man. Like that. That's why I love this episode so much, and I thought it was the strongest. It's because every every person in her circle is just a fully fleshed out character, right? And they feel so real. Yeah. Like at, at times, it feels like, like a documentary. Like, like yeah, like. It's it's awesome. I mean, that's from the acting to the writing, like, and and the casting, and then mm-hmm. it's it's just it just nails it. Like, mm-hmm. you get a sense of like who they are as people just from very brief scenes, and that like is highlighted with the wedding, right? right? Like, there's so much personality just like in the from the like preparation. Mm-hmm. To the ceremony, to the reception, right, and the celebration afterwards. Like it was, it was just awesome to see her brother and his now wife um, interacting, and mm-hmm. just that whole wedding ceremony was great. Yeah, they put just little little things in there for, of like of like uh, character interaction, and even like yeah, um, even just even the background characters, like the um, I forget what they call the the. Um, the gossipers in the in the mosque but they uh mm. they're all sitting at, at one table together you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> they're still doing it at the wedding <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but uh it just yeah it feels like this is a real place and it feels inhabited and like these are just people going about their daily lives and one person just happens to ha- have a, a special bangle that gives her green lantern powers mm-hmm. and how the community would react to something like that Yep. Still don't understand what the what damage control is up to. That that's still such a force. Yeah, I've I've got some some theories we can talk about when we hit episode four, but yeah. Um Yeah, so I mean at the wedding, I thought the fight scene in the both in like the ballroom or whatever you want to call it, the reception hall. Yeah. 
and the kitchen, I think, were really good. Um, I, <laughs> I liked love, the. I love Kamala just running back to the kitchen, telling the workers to to get out, and they're like, "No, one person <laughs> just punched." And they go, "Nope, okay, we're out." Fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, I'm not doing this. Like that was like the the delivery of that line. <laughs> it's like we've seen this just before. We're not doing this again. Kiss. Yeah. <laughs> Quite like, literally, oh, nope. chef's kiss. <laughs> they just left. <laughs> Dropped whatever they were doing and walked out. Didn't even yeah. question it. I laughed out loud. <laughs> um, but um, what do you think of the needle drop there <laughs> of living on a prayer? I thought it was good because they set up for it. I mean, Brown Jovi. <laughs> That's incredible. It was a it was a multi episode build up to that. Right. So I think it worked perfectly. Like it was a. Uh, Good timing after we just started talking about our favorite needle drops in the MCU. That would have been right. one we would have discussed at some level. I think. Probably. I don't know. It's it, good. I get. You know, I get. I get the Bon Jovi reference, and because it's a Jersey City in New Jersey, like, but it just it felt like it was a weird place. I don't know. I don't know that it's such a weird. It's a love song over a fight sequence, and I, I couldn't yeah. like, figure out the the correlation there other than the New Jersey thing. Maybe I'm I think that's something. it. I mean, there was the Bon Jovi joke in, in episode two. Yeah, there was the Brown Jovi joke. Like it, it I think it's just it's yeah, just I a guess. style choice, I think, more than anything. I guess. But yeah, I feel that. And I understand. But yeah, these, these fight scenes are great between three and four. They are. The, yeah, I think my only con- my only criticism is getting back to like the clandestines is that they're yeah. kind of like lame. Yeah, <laughs> like they don't have much character on their own. They're all just kind of like. Aside from, you know, Comron's mom, right? Um, she's actually pretty menacing and, and terrifying. Um, but the rest of them are kind of just there, I guess. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of like Kamal rounds a corner, and they're just standing there like menacingly, <laughs> and then they'll like swing what their weird weapon at her, and <laughs> and then she goes to another corner, and they're just standing there like another one. <laughs> And it just kind of felt like that's all they do in their fight. Stand around in the dark. And they they started the episode by showing them all like hanging out in the house, and they had some personality. Yeah. And then once the the heel turn happened, which was just minutes later, they yeah. just complete personality out the window. Right. Um. And hopefully, hopefully that changes as we go on. Now that we've really set up the threat and everything, but but overall, I mean, it didn't impact the the action sequence very much um i think it was very good cool use of her powers we got to see like her use of the fists a lot and mm-hmm. it really was a good representation of a good combination of like her new power set and being able to make like the crystal structures mm-hmm. and the old power set and having like stretchy powers mm-hmm. like she definitely used that a bit in that fight scene yeah um and like i said before a lot of this seems grounded like a lot of it's hand-to-hand combat um, we don't have like we typically get in some of these other shows or the movies that are like these big flying battles through, through the air or throwing people through the air or flying up into space and like punching holes and stuff. Uh, yep. Here, like it just feels like grounded hand to hand combat. Um, I did I did like in the kitchen the I know uh, the clandestines are a, are a soft spot, but or or a touchy subject. I shouldn't say touchy subject, but you know what I mean. Um but that they kind of made it a like a horror movie for like about 30 seconds. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was an interesting choice. Um, when the lights went out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, but overall, yeah, the action in this one's great. Um, and then we see the clandestines just get 
you know, carted off by damage control who just happened to walk in at the, mm-hmm. at the perfect time. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, and, uh, what's her name? Oh, and Tia finds out about, uh, the, the powers. powers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, overall, I think very good episode. My favorite mm-hmm. of the series to, to date. And I think you mentioned something earlier that has been a little disappointing for me, but I can live with it is, they've definitely toned down that style that we saw in episode yeah. one, especially by episode four. Right. There are cool, but at the same time, when they use it, it's in pretty good spots. Mm-hmm. Like they pick their spots to use it really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a good example in episode four. We'll talk about soon, but yeah. Um, yeah. So I, mean, I think I about wraps what I wanted to say on episode three. Are you good to move to episode four? Yep. Let's go on to episode four titled right. scene red. Yeah, and this one. Go I got to say, first of all, I'm a little disappointed there wasn't a minor threat needle drop anywhere in here. <laughs> you know, they're, they're one chance. massive hit called Seeing Red. Just just a little, just zero out of ten can't recommend on that fact alone. But anyway, different. <laughs> uh, back to the actual show. Yeah, this, this one sees us relocate from uh, Jersey City to Karachi. And I thought it was a really interesting choice, and I did not expect that at all. It just jumps I mean, they right talked into... about it last week, but like, so we did see it coming. But I'm just saying, like, when I thought of this series as a whole, I just expected the entire thing to be set in Jersey City. Mm-hmm. So to go to Karachi, I think, was a really nice change of pace. Um, mm-hmm. I do think from top to bottom, though, this was probably the weakest episode really? in my eyes for me. I don't think um, that's the case. Really? Yeah, I think it's one of the stronger ones okay. so far. All right. And I think the best part about it was the mother-daughter angle in this. We get hints of it in the first three episodes of kind of the tension they have. And even knowing about the three for a second, Kamala not being able to tell her mom what's going on because it involves the family history yeah. that she doesn't want to revisit. Um, and here, she still kind of has to hide it, but she's a little more open to it with her nani. Um, mm-hmm. because she's the one or Nani's the one that asked them to come and like was insistent that they come to Karachi. Um, but I mean, the first, the first scene they're sitting at, at first, like I thought did, did Kamala like book a plane to Karachi by herself. And how did that happen? How did <laughs> yeah. that? And they, they pulled the newspaper down. Her mom's sitting right there. I'm like, Oh, that, that makes <laughs> she, a lot more sense. <laughs> she like forbidden her from talking because of the wedding incident. Right. I'm curious to see after that, after that incident, how she like convinced her mom to fly out to Karachi. Right. Well, it sounded, it sounded like it was her grandmother that, that convinced her. Right. Um, yeah. But like the first scene, they're sitting apart from each other with a stranger sitting in between them. And then, by the time we get toward the end of the episode, they're sitting down having a genuine moment with each other over the mm-hmm. toffee. You know, there's right. a there's a little bit of an arc there. It's it's kind of sporadically paced or uh, sporadically sprinkled throughout the episode, but it's still there. I don't there. think it is because I mean you get to see the parallels between her oh, mother yeah. and her grandmother, right? Um, and you know how how she kind of faced the same type of relationship, right? right that ultimately ended in her leaving. Mm-hmm. But we find out that she, uh, Kamala's mother, left because her mom was like talking like a crazy person, mm-hmm. and she was getting made fun of because her mom was probably talking about all the stuff that Kamala is dealing with right now. And that's probably why gym. she doesn't want to yeah. handle the bangles. Like 
she saw them right. come in and was like, I don't want to deal with that. We're putting yeah. it in a box and throwing it away. Yeah, and that, that kind of like puts a different spin on that scene, whereas I think you and I had speculated like she knows something about the powers. She's like read into everything that's mm-hmm. happening here, but it more was probably like, oh no, this is like my mom trying to pull her into her crazy conspiracy theories. And, right, that we and, all know is real. Right, yeah, but she still thinks are just, she calls them even conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought it was pretty heartbreaking that her mom like left all of the boxes out of the toffees for her, mm-hmm. hoping that she would come back eventually. Like that was, yeah. I I I think that side of the episode was very strong, mm-hmm. and for me, and and I'm not saying this is like a weak episode, but you know, there has to be a, a weakest of the four, just <laughs> because mm-hmm. because there are four episodes, we've got to have one that's that that we select as the weakest um and that's not to say it's weak but i I think for me where it really got to be a little much was when we introduced the red daggers and set up their rivalry or their competing factions with Jin. Mm -hmm. um it just felt a little weird and too big for what this series is and that's where we got the introduction of like they're trying to bring their entire world into to overtake our universe and i'm like oh well i mean we just kind of saw this and this is like every <laughs> single one of these is like a world-ending threat and i just don't think it needs to be um and and i think thematically it might end up working in the end because kamala's character is like she wants to be the hero she wants to save the world so like how does she react when she's actually thrown in a situation where she can do that right you know like how does she react when she's a part of something that's bigger than herself? Mm-hmm. And I think it's, I think it has potential to turn around and become one of the more interesting scenarios of that. But, you know, just where we're at currently by the well, end of this episode, it's less interesting. Especially whenever it's a threat that is framed against an actual event that like affected her family, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it causes this moral dilemma of, I can help these people, but it's going to destroy the universe. At least before she knew it would destroy the universe. Right. Um, versus when the partition happened, like my family got split up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. And my grand, my great grandmother was the last. My grandmother was the last one on, on one one of the last trains out of India. Hmm. Um. So. I mean, that, that introduces a very interesting moral dilemma that I don't know if they're going to go into full detail on, but it's something that I think should be taken into consideration. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you look at the character of Kamala and Miss Marvel as a hero, her with great power line is mm-hmm. good isn't a thing you are, it's a thing yep. you do, which was dropped in episode three. Yep. We should should have talked about but i i, I had that note to down. bring it up <laughs> yeah, yeah i had it written down didn't know how but to throw it in there but great there we go. great line drop i liked that it was just in there and not like a, a huge moment that we build up to you know right. <laughs> like it's just it almost seemed like um he knew that she yeah. was this hero <laughs> yeah right like that's the way i read that scene um but anyways it, with that being her kind of prime directive i guess for lack of a better term <laughs> or her moral compass right like her north her north star is that line like that's what she her code her I glorious guess. purpose if you will. <laughs> yeah her glorious purpose um you know you have these two competing factions that are like very black and white like red daggers are like we're the good guys we don't want to destroy the earth and 
the clandestine or like we are the bad guys we want to destroy the earth so we can mm-hmm. save our world um and maybe it's not even save their world they just want to return to it which would also destroy this world um but i think setting it up as like you know just because you side with one or the other doesn't mean you're good doesn't mean you're right. bad it's like right. okay you have these powers now how are you going to use them to help the most people right so i think it's an interesting dilemma i mean I guess my problem with it is that it feels like we're heading in a very predictable way where she's going to find some way to like return them home in a nice way that yeah. doesn't destroy the earth, right? That's like I mean, I'd be happy to be surprised, but it's like can't we just have these people that are trying to like return in a very violent way and you know, I I don't know. It's the flag smashers all over again. <laughs> It kind of to is. An, to an extent. Like, I get, I get what you want to do, but there's a bigger picture here that is that you're actually going to hurt more people in the end than you're trying to help. Yeah. And and with the Flag Smashers, I think we br- it always gets brought into more scrutiny when it's like humans, right? Like right. These, these are human people that are trying to do something. <laughs> right. Flag Smashers were trying to do. But you can, like, work around that and people tend to like perceive it better if it's some group from an alternate dimension, some group from space yeah. that's aliens. Like at that point, it's like, okay, they're, they're just bad, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we don't really question it as much when it's, it's just humans. So like, I hope that they do some more to, to flesh that out and tell us a little bit more about the world that they're from. I think and, that's what it comes down to is like, okay, why were they exiled? <laughs> why the, do they want to get back? If they are exiled, like do they want to destroy everybody that's there? Like what what is their ultimate goal? Like I get I understand getting home, but like why? <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. And I think if the, the Disney Plus Marvel TV series formula holds true, all of those answers will come out in episode five. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> it'll be it'll be her great grandma's origin story, it'll be the clandestine's origin story, and we'll get to see all this will answer every single question that we have and she'll well, end, and, and what when the episode with Kamala getting the new suit, which will lead into a giant, <laughs> uh, some sort of battle in episode six. She already got the mask. She already got the from mask Bruno. from Bruno, but <laughs> this will lead to her getting a new costume at the end of five and a giant battle of some sort at the end of six. Probably. <laughs> I hate to be that cynical, but every, there hasn't been anything yeah. that's changed yet. Even Moon Knight, which tried to change the formula up, still ended with a giant CGI battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Yep. clears throat> um, so uh, I really liked the... Um, I, I know uh, you said the introduction of the Red Daggers was kind of a weak point for you. I think that the fight scene between the two of them, though, at the, at the train station was really good. Yeah. Yeah, it was cool. I, I liked Kamala throwing the knife afterwards and just right. completely missing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it was a great fight scene. Great use of that power set, too. Yeah. And you can actually see her learning to use the power set, the, the powers to yeah. the best of her ability, you know? Uh, even yeah, when they, she's training, like, she's quickly picking up on things. Right. And I, I like do. that we were shown that she didn't really have a ton of time to train before she was kind of no. thrust into this, too. So they... they show her learning and trying out new things through the fight scenes. And I think that's kind of cool because Mm -hmm. typically it's like, Hey, here's a montage and she starts at the beginning of it and she sucks. And at the end of the montage, she's mastered her powers, right? Right. We see that in 
in Spider-Man Origins all the time. Yeah. Um, and Iron, I mean, we saw it in Iron Man Origin. Mm-hmm. So, like, just to see her kind of learn through fighting and just, you know, fighting in high-stakes fights, fighting in low-stakes fights, like, she's kind of trying out different things. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, what do you think of the, the little Ant-Man drop in there, too? The, the artwork? It looked really yeah. cool. I thought it was cool. Uh-huh. Just, yeah, it was cool. <laughs> yeah. But I, I can appreciate that other countries are, uh, are recognize who the Avengers are. Yeah. And I mean, we got we got some of that in No Way Home, but that was all Tony Stark and Iron Man. Here, like, yeah. we actually get another Avenger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. True. And with a with a with a quote on the artwork that actually uh fits the fits the show pretty well that you could start small and still be larger than life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> um but yeah, overall good stuff. Um I, I really like her her um her mom and her um grandmother's dynamic. Um it's I really like her and her cousin's dynamic. I one thing that that stuck out to me and I'm kind of just throwing ideas all over the place here, so sorry if it's a little uh, scattershot. Okay. But um, one thing I really liked, and it was wasn't that subtle, but was the the uh, the outfit choice when they're in Karachi. Um, she's wearing the the bright blue, the bright like yellow shirt the, from AvengerCon and and jeans and like looks like a, t- a typical American. <laughs> yeah. Well, everyone else is in traditional garb. <laughs> Like yeah. she stands out across everybody else and yeah like, even even the the guy at the kiosk is like oh yeah you're lost aren't you <laughs> and <laughs> well, i mean they, they they'd keep referencing it too like they couldn't they had to eat outside of the restaurant because she was wearing jeans and um yeah right it, it was everything was a lot more i don't want to say formal but uh it was more traditional i guess well and they, they treated karachi as a city in the same right. way that they treated treated Jersey City. Right. right? Uh, even in the same even, way that Queens was treated in the Spider Man films. Like it's a right. fleshed out location. It is. Well like, even the, the ending credits, it's in the ending credit sequence is in Karachi this time. It's not in mm-hmm. Jersey City. All of the locations Oh really? Say, I didn't yeah, catch if you, that. If you, pay, if you pay attention, all of the locations are Karachi City or That's really cool. Even even the where the Miss Marvel like logo comes up at the end, it's uh-huh. over bridges that are in Karachi. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was a very subtle detail that uh, you really, you, if you didn't catch, you missed it. Um, yeah, I guess quick shout out to like the the intro and outro sequences, like the title card and stuff. Like so good, so good. Best in the best in the Disney Plus did, MCU at least. I'd have to did think you about notice, the larger MCU. Back to episode three, real quick. Did you notice the the Hawkeye Easter egg in in that credit sequence? No. Uh-uh. There's a uh, there's a um, What's it called? There's a trust a bro truck that like drives across the screen. No at one way. Point. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. I didn't catch Again, that. it's That's it's cool. blinking you. It's blinking you. Miss it. Uh-huh. Like, oh hey, the Tractor Mafia is over here now. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Um, good. But yeah, overall, like I I really like this episode. Um, I think there's a lot of good stuff here, but. Uh, I think I think the weak point for me here was when the clandestines just kind of dropped in out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, they, they escaped s- prison, and then the next scene, they they were in Karachi immediately. <laughs> I kind of liked it because it, it it was like mid exposition dump. They're like right. surprise, and then they just <laughs> break in. 
Like, how do they find exactly where <laughs> that, I did, the red I, daggers were hiding? Right. I, I <laughs> did really like the uh, the chase sequence there, though. I thought it was good, yeah. I, I was really disappointed. I hope, um, I think his name was Walid, the, the leader of the red daggers, or the okay. implied, whatever, the other member that wasn't um, Kareem uh, that was in there. That was actually the... Uh, we had talked about this actor before, but yep. Farhan Akhtar. Yeah. Um, he plays Walid in the show, and I'm hoping he's not dead because I, I really liked his character in this as yeah. kind of like the wise master sort of. Um, so I'd be curious to see if he survives. It kind of was left up to interpretation a little bit. I mean, the death, the, the death was almost just like what? <laughs> yeah, and then like kicked off the balcony. <laughs> it was almost like yeah, it was. That that seems a little weird, but I like the chase scene. I thought it was really good. Um, well shot mm-hmm. with the different fights and like the way that they used the environment throughout the fight scene and the different vehicles that were involved and Kamala trying to drive the car, but it's stick shift. She can't do it. <laughs> like all good stuff. Me too, Jed. I get it. Yeah. It's not easy. Um, to quickly rewind to the prison break sequence. Oh boy. Um, one of it, I mean, the, the break sequence itself was kind of goofy because they had the, the person who was escorting them had all of their weapons with him. (laughs) So they escaped and just took all their weapons back immediately. It's like, I don't, I don't think it works like that. They probably would confiscate those. Um, secondly, so bad at their job on the, the zoom out, right. As we cut to the prison sequence. The the prison is actually the same one that we see in the She-Hulk trailer. Is it? That she's walking into. Yeah, I noticed because it's oh. a very distinct structure. Like, I remember seeing it in the She-Hulk trailer because it looked like a Triskelion, like, t- weird type of shield building. And we weren't sure what it was. But now it looks like it's the DODC's max, maximum. prison max or whatever. Yeah. It's maximum security. Oh. So, could Abomination be there? Do DODC have some ties to Thunderbolts in some way? Like I, I don't, I don't know, but we'll be looking for a little bit more lore about the DODC and and She Hulk. And you would imagine, like based on the way that the DODC operates, that they come onto Jen Walters' radar <laughs> a lot. <Yeah>. So yeah. <laughs> uh, um, I can't imagine that they won't show up in She Hulk, and we'll get some more lore. About, were those um were the them. were the weapons the guards were using was that the high were those the hydra weapons from uh was it first avenger i'm not sure they were like those sonic like the power dampening sonic thing i think yeah. they might have been like handheld versions of um it was I, think I saw this on new star new rock stars but um handheld versions of the sonic weapons they used against hulk and yeah the Incredible yeah hulk, that's it like on the campus yeah that's it I so, think they're like handheld, ver- evolved handheld versions of that. So it made sense that the DODC is using all Stark tech to as their weaponry. He yeah, did I mean, if he founded them. them, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So okay, that uh, that actually made sense that uh, yeah, Tony Stark helped build the prison industrial complex. Yeah, but anyway, so, that's... I mean, <laughs> we have that. We have the raft, and I, I just who's running the DODC? <laughs> like now that Stark's gone, if he if we were presuming that he ran it previously. Which it seems know. like he did. Through it doesn't sound like he ran it. It sounds like he was like a uh, what? What would you, he a uh, founded a cons- it or... a quote consultant? You know. Uh, to well, help no, because I thought he ran. Well, I thought he founded it or owned it or ran it because part of Toombs' whole thing was that Stark was like creating the mess and then profiting off of the cleanup. <laughs> well, yeah, 
but so it was like, it was like a government agency, so he probably helped put it together. Yeah. I don't know if he was necessarily running it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it seems like could we find out that Val is running that and she's using it to kind of like assemble these powered individuals? I don't know. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. Um because I mean she was pretty freely walking through like government buildings in <laughs> Falcon and the Winter Soldier, right? Like she was just kinda just around <laughs> and no one really questioned her, so maybe she's a government official. I I really don't know. I think in She Hulk we're definitely gonna get some more explanation into what the DODC is. Or maybe even in this series, right? Maybe. I don't know. Possibly. I don't know how they would tie the Thunderbolts into this, though. I, 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 just I don't think like the Thunderbolts into this. Or even Val. I think that... I don't think either the Thunderbolts or Val. I think I think we'll just get a little bit more of the DODC, just based on... They have to be in this series for a reason. And right now, they're kind of just like a, they are. <laughs> a third-party foil. I guess. <laughs> right, but, it's like, like a complicating factor. I guess, and I mean, it does. it does, like, play into, like, America's treatment of Muslims after 9-11. Like, like yeah, that's there, is very thema- true. there is a thematic and cultural tie to it. That that's very true. actually made sense in very like true. Zero Dark Thirty. Kind of like <laughs> <laughs> glossed over it in the report, which was an Amazon Prime movie about the um, about the report that kind of let all of that out into the open. It's, it's mm-hmm. like set when Zero Dark Thirty is released. Uh, it kind of delves into that a lot more and in a lot more detail so i mean there's a very very horrible history of the department of homeland security treating muslims and muslim yes. americans um after 9-11 and i think this is a very it's not even a good way of showing that that happened but it's a i guess you could say it's like a good introduction to, it's like a soft introduction to something like that mm-hmm. yeah, um good point it, if if depending on your politics, if that's a good or a bad thing, I'm just stating the fact here. I'm not I'm not trying to dive into anything. Um, but even like the way that the prisoners are are, are like chained up, like oh okay, nah, the, the the imagery matches. Like this this all makes sense, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that DODC is not afraid to like hit Comron very quickly when he starts trying yeah. to break out. Very. Um, like it's to me, it was a little obvious to and a little on the nose to not acknowledge. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so other than that, I don't see any purpose to the DODC being here. Mm-hmm. They keep saying they're looking for enhanced individuals, but we don't know why. Right. And why they, they see them, them? as a are threat. They trying to, yeah. Are they trying to, are they seen as a threat? Do they want to understand them? Do they want to control, quote, control them? Who well, knows? Yeah, because in, last time we saw them before, I think we hadn't seen them between Homecoming and No, no Way Home, Home, correct? I don't think so. But when we saw them in Homecoming, they were almost more of like a cleanup crew, right? Yeah. Like, how do we how do we reduce the amount of damage that's been done here? And mm-hmm. what do we do with the cleanup? Make sure people are good to go. But now it's like, it's almost like the old Hydra, like Pierce mission of like, let's eliminate all these individuals before mm-hmm. they can act. <laughs> right. Um, so it's interesting. The cycle to see repeats. Where, where the cycle repeats itself. It does. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um so yeah it's it's interesting um but i i mean overall i really enjoyed this episode i'm really liking where the show is going um and i'm curious to see what happens next i i have to think episode five is going to be all in the in the is it, is it 
I don't even want to say flashback, but all set during the partition. I guess. Yeah, let's talk about that that end scene. So in that final fight, one of the clandestines, I think it's Najma, actually stabs the bangle and it mm-hmm. opens up a rift or a vision or <laughs> I don't I don't know exactly what it is. Um, but Kamala wakes up basically during the partition in Karachi mm-hmm. back in time. Right. So I think I don't think this is actual time travel. To me, it seems like it's probably just some sort of vision that was stored inside the bangle that someone left for a future user of the bangle or something like that, right? Um, mm-hmm. Could be wrong, but that's what it seems like to me. I think we'll get a very physical and real explanation as to what like the, the trail of stars metaphor has been that led yep. her grandmother to her father on the train station um, right. and led her to safety, which is probably something related to the bangle. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see what we get from this. Cause there's going to be a lot of, a lot of exposition, I think in the next episode and probably pretty light on action. Um, at least while we're in this vision, you know what? That's fine by me as, as yeah, much same. as I, as much as I like some of the action in this episode, um, I, I feel like the Disney shows have this formula where every episode has to end with some sort of action sequence or they feel like it has to. Um, I'm fine with like how the Loki finale was where there wasn't a big action sequence and it was just people talking for 45 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. um, as much as I love, uh, the fifth episode in that series and the, um, everything in the, uh, in the wasteland or where I can't remember what they call it, but the, um, Regardless, um, I'm I'm fine with just a, a an exposition heavy episode, and I kind of wish that they would just scatter that throughout the show a little bit more, more, and not just save it all for mm-hmm. one episode. Yeah. You know, I right. think that's just a Marvel criticism at large. That's not specifically for this show. Yeah, I mean, to me, overall, with those comments in mind, it, it still feels like they're kind of trying to figure out the best way to to do the Disney Plus format. Yeah, right, <laughs> like. Like I, I don't, I definitely don't think they have it nailed down perfectly yet. No. Um, but I think we'll, I think we'll get there. Uh, we're still in the phase of like some of these projects started filming before COVID. Some, mm-hmm. <laughs> some were like developed partly in COVID and then shut down. And it's like, I think, I think we're still reeling a little bit from those, uh, the impact of that. Yeah, I think um, so. So I, I think you know, in a couple years, maybe we can reflect back on where we're at then where we come from where we come from here yeah but yeah i mean overall i'm just i'm still really loving this series yeah um it's probably gonna end up pretty high in my rankings unless it you know doesn't stick the landing really but um even if we go off rails in episodes five and six i think the the first two-thirds of it were so enjoyable that like i could stomach that and still rank it high yeah all right. Well, I think that about wraps our our thoughts on uh, episodes three and four of Miss Marvel. Um, like I said, we'll be probably doing another double episode uh, episode <laughs> in a couple weeks. In whenever a few weeks. whenever we're able to to get back together. <laughs> yeah, and one other one other uh, thing that's coming up soon too is we got confirmation last week that Feige is planning to. Oh, yeah. Host in a Marvel Studios panel at San Diego Comic-Con, which is, I think, the third week of July. Um, so we'll be coming right back <laughs> oh from God. vacation into that. 
as well. Uh, so we're going to be pretty busy here, churning out a lot of episodes. I'd expect a lot, a lot of good news there. So we should so, just do like one super episode of of the last two episodes. Oh my god, Love and Thunder Love... and the, the the Hall H Comic Con oh, panel. Like, I don't think people want to stomach six hours of us yelling <laughs> at them in their ears. <laughs> Please tell us if you would. Wow. We'll, uh... Just do a live stream for for six hours about all everything. Sounds fun. Sounds spoiler free time. review, spoiler review, and uh, Miss Marvel <laughs> finale, and any big announcements. Sounds like a good time, to be honest. It does. If, you know, if they if they do off offer like a co stream option of the the San Diego Comic Con panel, I uh, would be open to trying to do something like that. Yeah, we could try and do that. But historically, they haven't streamed those anyways, and they're just no, that's whoever's in attendance gets to. <laughs> gets to see the trailer and then we don't see for months but mm-hmm. we'll, get, we'll get the descriptions that the I journalists hate, are, I, are I tweeting out as... i really hope they don't do that because it's such like a deflation to have to read a description of a trailer that you showed to like two thousand people <laughs> <laughs> and inevitably someone's gonna leak it mm-hmm. <laughs> so and then like, they release it in the end and then it's like super local like cell phone quality like someone brings in their their razor flip phone from 2007 and <laughs> records it the one the, thing they the didn't left check half was of the, the razor phone right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the security guards are so young they don't even know what a razor phone is <laughs> i think they actually re- make razors nowadays like they do actual touch screens I, I thought about getting one just yeah, to have it you know i haven't looked into it i'm going to be due for a new phone this fall so maybe i'll have to I'm tired of carrying this, this little rectangle around i kind of oh, want listen, I, can, the, I can fidget with do you remember the oh boy. samsung juke that i had I i'm do. sure you do i do that thing was like you know it looked like an old school mp3 player yeah it was like i think one inch wide by like four <laughs> inches long i do remember and you that flipped thing. it up to the side like almost like a pocket knife mm-hmm. that was the goofiest phone ever <laughs> Speaking of razors, I remember jumping in your uncle's pool with mine in your pocket, and I yeah. realized like mid jump it was still it was still in yeah yeah it was still in my pocket. But uh, I think you screamed no as you were like mid air. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I did. Uh, oh my god! Oh, those were the days, weren't they? But yep. Anyway, back to twenty twenty two. We're gonna bring up another round of our favorite least favorite overrated and underrated and this week we chose casting marvel mcu castings mm-hmm. um i had had a little bit of trouble putting this one together yeah yeah because i had some in mind and then as i thought about it i changed them and i did this like an hour hour and a half before we recorded so like uh-huh. i've just been kind of thinking about this as as i'm going so like where where do you want to start? I think we should start with favorite. Okay. Yeah, I like to kind of just stick to the traditional favorite, least favorite, overrated, then underrated. Um, do you want me to start off with my favorite, or do you want yeah. to? Okay, so uh, for my favorite, I actually selected Tom Hiddleston as Loki. Okay. Um, mostly because, that. you know, Hiddleston was fairly unknown, and I, know, I, I might talk about this as if I feel that it's underrated at the same time but i feel like he's properly rated right yeah it just it is my favorite he's Um, he's embraced the character yeah and and he was a relative unknown before jumping in here at least like you know in terms of blockbusters he was a he was a theater actor right yeah and he acted with like kenneth Branagh and everything so that's why he got the the part in thor but 
I think his importance to the MCU that we have today is very understated. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that he chose scenery in Thor, in Avengers, in Dark World. And like, I think without him, we don't have a Thor franchise, right? Because no. like Hemsworth didn't come into his own at that point, really, until Rad Ragnarok. Right. And Hiddleston, meanwhile, was like firing on all cylinders. You know, like the mm -hmm. writing was great for him. The the characterization of Loki that Marvel wanted to put to screen was great and nope. matched him perfectly. And then nope. they relied on him to be the main villain for Avengers. Right. Like I you, think if you were putting this team together, that might ahead. be the weak spot. What is him as the villain in the in the Avengers? Like, I think Hiddleston I, himself is great, but Loki as a character, it feels very forced I and very. It, I understand that. I mean, he's definitely extremely villainous in that yeah. movie, but like they always go back to like he's under the influence of the Mind Stone at the same time. Yeah, which is kind of a cop out. I agree. Yeah, but at the same time, like you need a charismatic villain in that film. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't do something like Justice League and have, like, some goofball <laughs> villain like Lex Luthor with Steppen a combination Wolf. of dark, uh, not dark side, but Steppen Doomsday. Wolf. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of Batman versus Superman. Like, no, see, yeah, that's, dark that's side. I mean. I Do remember. Doomsday was Batman, Superman, yeah. dark side was Steppenwolf, right? Like, they tried to jump straight oh. to their Thanos. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and And it's just, like, not, it doesn't work. Like, whereas if you, you have Hiddleston in the Avengers who just chews up the scenery and yeah, it's probably the weakest writing we've gotten for Loki mm -hmm. just because it was very one note <laughs> compared yeah. to his characterization and, you know, before and after that. But especially in the dark world, he might be the highlight of that, of that entry. That movie is completely unwatchable without him. And right. I, I think it is, you know, if you don't include Loki there or you have another actor that maybe isn't as strong as Loki. Mm -hmm. Like that movie is a bomb and we probably never get Ragnarok. <laughs> no. You know? So I, I, I really just have top to bottom enjoyed his performances. Um and he carried and I don't want to say carried because there's a lot of great actors in the show, but mm -hmm. he was fantastic in the Loki show. Oh, he's incredible. And that was really the show that proved out, you know, we had gotten the Falcon Winter Soldier beforehand, but like in WandaVision, um, but that I, I feel like that one kind of pushed the boundaries of what this format could be. Yeah. Um, you know, WandaVision did some experimental things with it. Um, but to, you know, tell a beginning to end story in a unique setting and have a leading actor that is just killing it. I think his his acting throughout the the MCU is just very impressive to me. And, and I think it, it was very critical to the early success of the MCU and not in a way that's mention... not often talked about. He's the only <laughs> he's his show is the only one that's been renewed for a second season so far. It's confirmed mm -hmm. that we know we know WandaVision's not coming back. Falcon and the Winter Soldier's mm -hmm. turning into Cap Four. Uh, Moon Knight, nobody knows yet what's going on with that. Well, I guess what if there's going to be more seasons of that? But that that an anthology series just kind of lends itself to it. Miss mm -hmm. um, Marvel, we don't know how it ends yet. Um, yeah. So I think just the fact that they're willing to base an entire second season off of his character says a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think just the, the straight comics to adaptate to screen adaptation, like he was really the first one where for me, it was like, 
okay, this guy is Loki, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, we had that with Robert Downey Jr., but that wasn't as like he came. Robert Downey Jr. Like, came with like, the baggage, like like he did. He was tasked with in with the intention that Robert Downey Jr.'s life parallels Tony Stark's, right? And I I think too like if you see an appearance of like an uh, Iron Man in a game or Iron mm-hmm. Man in an animated show, like they're not basing that character off of the the comics anymore like they're basing it off of robert Downey jr right yeah. like they sound like him it almost sounds like they're doing an impression every time you hear stark in an animated show or a, a mobile game or something like mm-hmm. it just sounds like someone doing a robert Downey jr impression mm-hmm. whereas i feel like with loki it was like he just stepped into that character of loki mm-hmm. and like you buy him as the character of loki from norse mythology you buy him as the character of loki from the comics like it's just right. like every angle i think he just owns and defines that character yeah no so i completely Hiddleston I, is my favorite i completely agree i'm i'm with you on there i'm not going to argue against that at all uh, i actually originally had chris hemsworth written down for my favorite but when i was thinking about it <laughs> the first thor in the dark world really really killed that one for <laughs> me and i think it was my favorite just because of ragnarok and infinity war and game of like <laughs> what Taika was able to bring out of him and, and give this character and what Chris Hemsworth was able to do with this character, bring his improv skills and his comedic chops to this character. You know, mm-hmm. um, I just watched uh, Spiderhead on Netflix a few weeks ago. Yeah. And Chris Hemsworth is a very charismatic guy. Yeah. <laughs> He's very entertaining in that. Um, but thinking about it with just the changing directions that that character is taking, he was way too serious in the first Thor have no idea what he was doing in the dark world. I, I couldn't put him as my favorite anymore. So I actually switched it to Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda. Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's a good I, one. I, the, I considered and, her. And the more I think about her as Wanda Maximoff, the more I enjoy it because that character speaking of like, like jumpy transitions and character development, like she's brought her a game every single time like yeah. introduced as the twins at the end of winter soldier uh inter- introduced as like the evil wanda in age of ultron um introduced or brought up as kind of like the um not the mcguffin but as like the the plot point the plot device like get everything in motion and started in civil war mm-hmm. like she has had this very jilted and weird career arc or a character art, sorry. And I mean, Elizabeth Olsen has like been perfect in every single one of them. I can't find a, a flaw with her performance. The character, the character is a little different, but mm-hmm. um, it's the same with Loki in a way where the wheat spots are mainly from the writing, but the performance, like there's really nothing I can find wrong. Yeah. And not to mention like, she's pretty much now more famous than her sister's. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, um, I'm I'm on board with that one. Um, she, I mean, she just kills it in every performance. Yeah, <clears throat> literally, so, I guess lately, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> um, and like what what she was able to bring to the table in Wandavision, acting out in literally all these different decades of television, um, and what she was able to bring in multiverse madness, just playing a straight villain and still being likable to an extent. Like I, I really enjoyed Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. Good choice. Good choice. 
All right. Least favorite. Okay. So my least favorite, um, and I'm going back to the Thor franchise with this okay. one, actually. Um, and this is not a represent. I-, I went in a weird direction with this one because it's not a representation of the actor's performance. Okay. It's more of like, why did you use this caliber of actor for this role? I think I know that's going Idris with Elba. <laughs> oh, Heimdall. oh, I, I'm not going to argue you with that. So that's Idris Elba choice. is one of the most charismatic actors yeah. <laughs> out there. And I can think of about a billion roles that I would love him in in the MCU. <laughs> but they put him as the stoic guardian of the gate that just doesn't even say anything for the first two Thor movies. Right. Yeah. And then dies. Becomes a badass in <laughs> so, the third one. Yeah, becomes a badass in the third one for a very brief amount of screen time and then dies. <laughs> so yeah. like. It just sucks because it's not it's not a case of Gemma Chan where you have her in this minor role, her character gets killed off, and then you can recast her and use her later. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's very clear that that's your Elba to where it would be hard to use him later. I don't know if they necessarily would shy away from it if they had the right role for him. Yeah. Um, but it would take some time. It would take some distance. I see him as like, can you imagine him as like Magneto? <laughs> Like, come on, man. Like, there are so <laughs> many good roles. He's such a good actor. It's like, why did you use him here? <laughs> yeah. Like, Heimdall could have been any, but, like, it, it's not like he needed to be that role. <laughs> like, And his well, star it, has risen since then. Like, granted, I, I, think, but, I think that's what makes that casting look bad. Yeah. And those performances look... I shouldn't even say the performances look bad, but that casting looked bad is that he's become a superstar in the past decade since the first Thor came out. Yeah. I mean, when that first one came out, he was on that w- would have been during his Luther days and then like doing some special guest spots. That's when he was on The Office. Right, but, yeah, but even even Luther was like pretty, pretty well big. known and renowned yeah. at that time. Yeah. So it was kind of like, uh, I don't know. But yeah, it's it's not a reflection of his performance because I thought he did extremely well as yeah. I know with what he was given, especially, you know, in the later movies when they actually gave him a few lines and stuff. Right. Um, but it's just like, why did you? It, it the character of Heimdall is actually fairly iconic from like a visual standpoint, right? right? Like, like he's very memorable, and that's why I think it'd be hard to recast him later. But it just was such a small role, so they should have either like expanded Heimdall's role in post Infinity War um, instead of killing him off, or they should have just had someone else play it. So that's all. That's my small rant there. <laughs> I, I'm not going to disagree with that uh my where did you least... think i was going by the way i thought you were gonna say zach levi oh man eh, it was you so know. minor I'd... yeah but i, I mean casting somebody like zachary levi in, in a minor role like that i thought was I, very weird i feel Especially like when... with that one you could recast him if you want to later but it'd probably be you harder could. now because of shazam yeah yeah that's true i mean i think shazam is the bigger difficulty there than uh whatever fandral that was his name right i yeah. think so <laughs> but even so just putting zachary levi in the mcu putting chuck in the mcu just kill him off yeah. just, just so he could be shazam you know <laughs> like yeah. they brought back the warriors three literally just to kill them um so all right my least favorite is probably gonna cause a, a little bit of a stir up oh, here no. <laughs> uh when we when you and i were talking about this idea for uh casting choices I asked, is it anybody in the MCU, not just lead actors? And we both agreed yes. <laughs> so I had to put this out there, especially. going to regret this? <laughs> probably after some statements Feige has made this week. And I got to go with John Krasinski as, as Reed Richards. Okay. Multiverse of Madness. I, I mean, it, I, I think I, it's. 
the fact that that was straight up fan service and it was very obvious it was it was clearly recorded in secret Krasinski is flat during the whole thing he does not come off as a Reed Richards type he comes off as Jim from the office yeah or I mean even the dad from a quiet place to an extent like I don't know it it wasn't for me I I was excited when I first saw it, but the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. I think it's fair. Um, The longer that goes on, the the more poorly it's going to age. Yep. Um, Just because we'll we'll have known at that point that it was a stunt casting because we'll have R.E. Richards. We'll have R.E. Richards to stack it up against. Yeah. Um, And yeah, I think he was too nice and he was sort of arrogant there, but like Reed is arrogance embodied. (laughs) Anyways, with um with Krasinski, yeah, I I am kind of in agreement. Um, I think from rewatching that scene recently after the re release on Disney Plus, it doesn't play as well. Uh, wow. And you and I predicted that 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 scene, the Illuminati scenes particularly, would not age that well. Um, so you know, I'm on board with it. I enjoyed it for what it was, and knowing now, pretty much confirmed by Feige that it was a stunt casting. Just because yeah. of the fan demand, I think I'm I'm happy with that, and I'm ready to move on and get our our read. <laughs> I think so too. All right, overrated. Uh, overrated. So I I felt like for this one you had to go for a pretty big name, right? Um, what a weird feeling. We have the same. One. I have a feeling we have the same one too. Um, and I went back to the original Six Avengers, and nope, it's the- Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye, Clint Barton. I'm not I can't disagree with that. Yeah. I'm not I've never been the biggest <laughs> fan of Renner in total. Um you know, I never found him to be that great of an actor. I think he did you know pretty well in there, but like I feel like you could recast him tomorrow and be fine. <laughs> like I honestly yeah. do. Um I mean it was to the point where like I, I noticed that I really didn't like the character that much when we got to the point in Endgame where he and and um, Natasha were fighting to decide who gets to die first, <laughs> and he didn't die. And I was like, oh, because <laughs> yeah. I would rather him go than Natasha at that point in time. You know, I'm happy now because we got this the Hawkeye series, which is awesome, and we still got a Black Widow movie, so that's good. But yeah, yeah I mean, I just think he's kind of dry. Um, the character from of Hawkeye and Clint Barton from the comics is much different, and I don't want to be like a comics fundamentalist or anything, but like. <laughs> It was just a weird choice to bring him in. And I felt like, you know, from all reports, he was pretty sour about how his character was treated in Avengers. And then that led to oh. the whole overcompensation in Age of Ultron with the oh, farm. We wanted to write him out. Like, yeah. We didn't, like, as much as we, uh, as problematic as, as Joss Whedon is, uh, like, Jeremy Renner is pretty much up there from, <laughs> from what I've heard. Yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, Jeremy Renner is just as bad. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, it, even putting that aside, though, like his just his performances aren't remarkable. No, I mean, even in Hawkeye, like he was definitely outshone by, um, Haley Steinfeld. So oh, yeah. it's like it's, I'm just I'm ready to move on from that character. I'm glad we have Kate Bishop in the MCU now that is going to allow us to kind of do that a little bit. Um, and that's kind of the beauty of legacy characters like her. Yeah, but yeah, I I just I've never been that big of a fan of Renner in there and I felt like you know from the start it was probably a little bit of a little bit of a miscasting not to the point where it's my least favorite but I would say just like you know he gets the reputation that he does and he in the screen time that he does because he's an original six Avenger like if he was Fair introduced enough. in phase two like that character would be nothing or you know if you introduce him in phase two 
that's the point where you're a little more confident. You're not trying to go for the realistic, dark and gritty mm-hmm. <laughs> like take on the character, and you might do something a little bit more fun. Yeah, yeah, that's fair and that's reasonable, and I, I don't, I can't really disagree with any of that. Uh, my overrated. Okay, this this one might actually cause a stir up, <laughs> especially since we've sung his praises so many times on this show. Oh man! But because he's talked about so much, and this has nothing to do with the performance, yeah. has every, everything to do with uh, the persona. It's kind of starting to get on my nerves a little bit, but I had to go with Tom Holland as Peter oh, Parker. Huh? Because so I mean, he was a relatively unknown actor up in, who was up and coming when he was cast as Peter for Civil War. Um, I mean, he had done The Impossible, and he was a voice in Locke, and he'd done a few other small things. But um, like, I was excited whenever we were getting a relatively unknown to come up as Peter Parker, but now. That has become Tom Holland's persona. <laughs> Uncharted is Peter Parker in Uncharted. <laughs> yeah, but the- uh, Tom Holland has become Peter Parker, and it, it like to me, I'm just tired of seeing it. <laughs> uh, I kind of want something different from him. He tried to do uh, what was it, Cherry, and uh, that was it, Devil Inside Me for Netflix, but like they just come off. He just looks well, like Peter Parker you- to me now. It, are you like, upset that I'm not upset about well, the casting? No, are, you, are you? Are you more like lamenting where his career has gone outside of Spider-Man, or are you? I like, think that's it. Just I, he's a, he's a great movie star, but like he is taking on because we've seen like so many iterations of his like Peter Parker character that it like isn't as exciting when we see the Peter yeah. Parker character show up. So now whenever he pops up, That's it's like, fair. oh, it's it's just Tom Holland <laughs> playing this. It's Tom Holland playing Peter Parker There's playing Peter Nathan Parker. Drake. <laughs> right. So, I gotcha. I, I, and going back to the Raimi movies, like, like Tobey Maguire, fantastic. Andrew mm-hmm. Garfield, and we've talked, we've, we've said our pieces about those, those sets, mm-hmm. about those, those entries. But um, I just, because of his public persona kind of like and his time as Peter Parker bleeding into literally everything else he touches, I gotta I gotta ding him on this. I I think it's fair. I would agree to disagree because I, I think that that only happened because he owned the role of Peter Parker so well and the casting was so good <laughs> that like his career went in that direction. Like I mean you see like people get typecast all the time. Mm-hmm. Um but he's also but, young enough to where he could kind of work his way around. Yeah, he did that. Um, what was that Netflix film where it's about the preachers, the devil all the time? Is that what it's devil called? Devil all the time. That's the one yeah. I was trying to say. Yeah. Um, it was that one. But yeah, I mean, I would agree with his career trajectory kind of being typecasting at a very young age. Yeah. Um. So. All and right. then underrated. Underrated, and this was. <clears throat> This was uh, the most fun that I had coming up with a category, uh, and I, I kind of whittled it down to three, um, and I'll, I'll talk about my two runners up, but my, my winner um, is actually Bradley Cooper as Rocket Raccoon. I almost put him. But, because. But go ahead. You forget <laughs> that it's him. Right. Um, one, the voice is so good. Two, he's asked to carry such emotional weight in so many scenes, and I think that's going to be even more paramount in volume three three, but like 
he does such an excellent job with a very difficult character to get audiences to buy into and no mm-hmm. one talks about it. He's on no press tours for the thing. And I think that's part of his deal is that he doesn't have to do press tours to voice mm-hmm. the character. But like he doesn't do it. He's never on the the press circuit. He might be at the premieres, I'm pretty sure. But like you don't talk about that it's Bradley Cooper <laughs> voicing Rocket. And right. Rocket is plays such a prominent role in the MCU. Um and no one talks about it. So I, I think that's why I had him underrated. Um, and I'll I'll let you go with with yours uh, before I talk about my runners up, just in case uh, I don't want to step on your toes. So uh, speaking of of uh, voice actors who don't real, I not say they don't get a lot of credit, but is aren't really talked about as often. And I put uh, James Spader as Ultron. Okay, down because yeah. I, I mean, consider that it wasn't Ultron, one of my runners up, but anytime Ultron's come up, it's been some other voice actor. It's been that Ross Marquand, yeah, who. Uh, did who was the um red skull. who was the red skull mm-hmm. and any other time he's been a voice actor for ultron <laughs> anytime i need just, to recast a villain it's ross Marquand. <laughs> yeah and i just i want spader to come back as ultron just at least for one more entry because he was so good like when he was cast as ultron i got really excited then when age of ultron came out saw it three times and was wasn't disappointed but i wanted more of him yeah I, I think we'll he get all too, again eventually. He was too quippy and too Tony Stark like to be a James Spader character, you know? Yeah. Yeah, they like, definitely teased us with the trailers and making it seem like he was going to be so menacing, but he was just kind of a jerk. Yeah. But <laughs> snarky jerk. But the moments you get where he is menacing, it's one of probably one of the best parts of Age of Ultron. Or yeah. the best parts of Age of Ultron. Mm-hmm um and like his soliloquies about mankind i'm like that is that is just pure james spader right yeah <laughs> yeah it's good yep i, I, I can picture choice i can picture robert california saying the same exact thing and it'll it, it all bleeds into each other you know yeah yeah but and good uh choice. but anyway uh who are your runners my, up runners up um one of my runners up and um well it's vin diesel as groot just because i think okay. it's hilarious that they <laughs> make him record that same line over and over with like a million different reflections <laughs> inflections i mean um i think it's i think it's hilarious and that's pretty much the only reason there. and no one talks about how funny it is really and we don't get like footage of him recording it anymore and it just it's just it's funnier now because no one talks about it it's just like no. oh yeah whatever it's Groot. here's Groot again but it it's even they do baby Groot. Right? right, and they modify his voice to where it doesn't need to be Vin Diesel anymore, but no. it still is. <laughs> so it's just funny. <clears throat> um, and then the other one uh, was actually Clark Gregg as Phil Coulson. Okay, um, because that was a character that was completely elevated by the fans. <laughs> right after Avengers, right? Like, right. It it was, was the first, just like, supposed major... to be a side character, but they made him the emotional through line that it unites the Avengers for the first time because the fans love the character. It was like the first major death of the MCU too. Yeah. I mean, that was that was one of the most shocking things sitting in the, in the theater going, oh my god, yeah. they actually killed Coulson. Yeah, and Greg's performance resulted in the hashtag Coulson lives <laughs> yeah. like campaign and that brought back the character and you know you can debate the canon canonicity of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. but it ran for <laughs> seven seasons. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Like that's impressive, <laughs> and I think the the canon question is one of the reasons that I didn't include it here. But I I definitely yeah. think it was worth discussing. Yeah, um, yeah, I I'm not going to disagree with that. And even seeing him come back in Captain Marvel for like the five minutes, all oh, five minutes he's in it. Oh yeah, I like, forgot about oh, that for a sec. Right, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was just 
I was happy to see him back. Yeah. Um, a couple other ones I had uh, considered um, for least favorite one was um, Christopher Eccleston as Malekith, just because it's a yeah. fantastic actor. And they just gave him nothing. No. <laughs> um, and I with the least favorite category, I found it hard to be too like critical. Um, for overrated though, one I I actually had thought of was, uh, and this would have sparked some debate, but um, actually Don Cheadle is Rhodey. <laughs> What else um, would you put in there, though? I really like Terrence Howard better. So did I. And that's that's really the reason that I have. To, <laughs> and, and I mean, that was the end of my argument, so that's why I didn't okay. pick him. <laughs> but I it was Terrence one Howard I had more. thought. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, there were lots of other reasons that that recast happened, but to me, it's like when you prefer the previous actor, the new one comes in. <laughs> that I think is uh, not a problem, but notable. Speaking of um, speaking of recasting, though, something I, I learned, and I mean, we can we can end it after this. I wanted to just throw this out there and set the record straight. Turns out Scott Derrickson leaving Multiverse of Madness that wasn't necessarily over creative issues like we had th- initially thought. Oh, really? It was it, apparently like he had. He, I didn't know this, but he had like this rough childhood upbringing, and like had started going to see a therapist and like going to deal with emotional trauma and, and mental health issues made him want to leave the project. Oh, wow. And that's what led him to writing uh, the black phone, which just came out this weekend, which is apparently based off, of, not based off a of personal experience, but like helped him get through what he was working through. Wow. And that's what made they. Um, it sounded like Marvel still wanted to go in this horror direction. And that's why they got Raimi. Hmm. That's really I wasn't interesting. Aware, I wasn't aware of that background. Cause I know we had talked about, him leaving creative over creative activity. differences but it was really just a, a personal issue he was dealing with that oh wow that's a shame yeah i yeah. would have, i would have been really curious to see what his multiverse of madness looked like i'm glad i'm glad we got Rami. um yeah. but no it's always it's a interesting what if <laughs> it is consider. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah <laughs> what if Scott derrickson directed multiverse of madness? oh my biggest what if is uh edgar wright ant-man that's what i that's wanted every, so that's bad. every marvel fan's what if yeah that's so disappointing. Why Maybe eventually. I think note? eventually they'll pull Edgar Wright in for something. I don't know. I don't know if he wants to do studio blockbusters like that anymore. It's true. He's done all originals since mm-hmm. <laughs> since he was originally supposed to do that. I mean, Scott Pilgrim might be the only major tie-in he's done. Uh, other than that, it's all been originals he's written. One uh, one thing I wanted to bring up, just not to like do a hard shift, but yeah. um, we... You were talking about Ultron, and I thought about this, but then I lost it as we kept talking about it. But uh, there is a a new Disney cruise ship that has like an Ant Man Avengers themed restaurant on it, and they filmed this like action sequence, like all these uh, scenes to like this Marvel thing. <laughs> like they have they have um, Paul Rudd as Scott Lang, Evangeline Lilly as Hope Van Dyne. Sam Wilson, they've got Kamala Khan, Carol Danvers, like all the MCU iterations of the characters in this like dinner show thing on this rest. And I'm I'm curious to see like if they like actually declare it canon because it's really interesting. <laughs> but like Ultron is the villain of the whole thing. But it starts off by Scott Lang um and Hope talking to like the dinner guests about like you know quantum particles and stuff and and scott mentions the thanos like he said listen i know a lot of fans uh <laughs> a 
lot of a lot of observers of the battle have wondered if I should have just like you know he went like entered Thanos <laughs> and, and then you know expanded <laughs> and he like he was gonna like explain why it wouldn't quote. work yeah he I was gonna explain why it wouldn't work it. and okay. hope hope stopped him from explaining the, the intricacies <laughs> of it but anyways I I thought about it with Ultron because I couldn't tell from the clips if it was James Spader voicing him again but it was definitely okay. the Age of Ultron iteration of him okay um, but yeah I mean it was it's cool because they have I mean it's Kamala Khan like Amon Valani as Kamala Khan in Jeez. her Miss Marvel thing interacting with Carol interacting <laughs> with Sam like Sam calls her an Avenger I'm like what the heck is that? what <laughs> this is like jumping ahead here I guess they're like future proofing it but like huh <laughs> man you guys are really Sam as as Captain America leading the Avengers I'm like geez like, I would like really to see that on the <laughs> big screen down. first before we see it on a Disney cruise line. <laughs> why, why, why are you teasing me like this? This is what we've wanted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Give us the weird mashups. But like I mean, that. it's like it's high quality. Like it's not like low budget. Like it looks like a, a movie. <laughs> and they're fighting on like on top of the cruise, like the the deck of the cruise ship, and <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> yeah. You have to check it out because it's oh, it's cool. To look for and, it. I mean, I'm, I'm probably never gonna pay the money to get on that cruise line to see it so i just watched it on youtube <laughs> speaking of paul rudd though but paul I, rudd's a gem i he is a gem but i actually originally had him down for least favorite what as Scott lane yeah just as much of a gem as paul rudd is he uh like i feel like anybody could have been Scott lane like paul rudd was just kind of there for comedic relief and it That's just a good thought exercise because like right? i, I like I actually don't disagree with you. Pretty much anyone else in but Paul Rudd, and it still works. <laughs> Former criminal who wants to become a better father. Like Paul Rudd's great, but he isn't all. It doesn't have to always be a mopey dad. Does it? Does it capture audiences as well? Right. I don't think so. I think that would be more overrated than least favorite, though. Right. I'm. I mean. He, it could be one of my least favorites and can still like, be overrated um at least the way i see it but yeah that's a that's a huh. whole different discussion for another day i could see it like working from a like hey this movie's still good yeah but i think you need paul rudd's like charisma to sell yeah. the weirdness of the character in a way get, and like his star power like i feel yeah. like doing ant-man with like a hemsworth or hiddleston level unknown <laughs> like as they were at that time is probably a bad move yeah that's fair that's reason one just because the character is like almost like a joke when people hear about like the ant-man <laughs> and yeah. they play it like that like that's why paul red works but yeah maybe maybe i, I guess you're right and i just eh. uh, i'm just too much in the paul rudd fan club to, to, maybe <laughs> to you're just an idiot <laughs> <laughs> and you're wrong i word you no points and god have mercy on your soul, your soul. <laughs> I mean, think, think of Adam Sandler's Ant-Man. You just quoted Billy Madison. But oh, like... no. <laughs> <laughs> just just Hope throwing it out there. to the quantum realm. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the place to end it. <laughs> of the Sandman. <laughs> is Sand, the Sandman. The Sandman. All right, goodbye, everybody. <laughs> We'll see you in a few weeks. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Goddamn Sandman. <laughs>